0: All right, well, if you have your Bibles, and we hope you do, will you open them to Daniel chapter 10 as we continue our look through the book of Daniel? And the title of my message today is, Will Coach Eber Flus be able to develop Justin Fields as our quarterback here in Chicago? All right, that's the best joke I have all day today, so. All right, let's just go to lunch and call it a day. All right, Daniel chapter 10, Daniel ch- 10. All right, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel whose name was called Belteshazzar, and the message was true, but the appointed time was long, and he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. We are now roughly about 537 BC. Cyrus and the Medes and the Persians have now, of course, conquered the Babylonians. They are now in power, and Cyrus has already allowed now the Jewish people to head back to Israel and begin the be, uh, rebuilding of Jerusalem, including its temple. And you can read about that in Ezra, if you like, in in Nehemiah. And as we come to this point, Daniel is now in his mid-80s, having been in Babylon since he was 15, seeing that God is working, and God gives him one last vision that is truly contained in the last three chapters, 10, 11, and 12 of his book. So, in these days, he's given this vision. He's also given an interpretation of the vision in chapter 11. And he's giving a glimpse behind the veil into the spiritual world that is so valuable for us today to know and to understand. So, a lot to look at this morning. So in verse 2, in those days I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. Why was he mourning? Well, scholars debate the issue, but they believe that Daniel had already uh, heard that things weren't going well there in Israel. They were discouraged. Only a small number of the n- total number of uh, Jewish captives returned, only about 50,000 uh, at this point, and... and There was about 1 million, maybe 2 million total in the Babylonian uh, Empire, now the Persian Empire. But in Daniel's morning, it says in verse 3, I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all, three whole weeks were fulfilled. It was serious. Daniel was asking the question, I believe, what is ultimately going to happen to the Jewish people? God has allowed them to return as God said he would, but things aren't going well for them. They have discovered resistance. They have been uh, persuaded by discouragement to cease the building of the temple All different kinds of things occurring back in Israel, and only 50,000 out of all of them have returned. This was troubling to Daniel. And he did what Daniel always did. He went to God to resolve it. God, what are you doing? What is happening? What is occurring? Daniel may have thought that this would be a period of jubilation, jubilee for the Jewish people. And yet they return once again to hardship. Now in verse 4. Now on the 24th day of the first month, I was by the side of the river, great river, that is the Tigris. I lifted my eyes and looked and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with gold of Uphaz. His body was like beryl or crystallite. His face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. We come to the glorious one, and there is debate again by many and who the glorious one actually is that Daniel here is seeing. There are some believe that this is merely an angel that Daniel is seeing in his time of fasting and mourning there next to the Tigris River. Others believe that it is an angel, but more specifically, it is Gabriel, because Gabriel arrived earlier in the book of Daniel. But then there are those, and I agree with this group, that this is an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. It is interesting that in Daniel's discouragement, it is Jesus in whom he sees. I believe it is Jesus due to the description that is given. That is so similar to that of the description given to Jesus in the book of Revelation chapter 1 and also in chapter 19. And as a result, it is interesting that once again... This individual described to us with clothes of linen. The word in Hebrew that is used here is that linen that he is wearing is the linen cloth of the priests. Of course, Jesus is our ultimate high priest as the book of Hebrews adequately, I should say, significantly portrays. He is girded with gold, which means royalty. We see that his Body is that of crystallite and crystal light. Uh, I don't know what flavor. The Hebrew isn't that specific. But baral is the word that is used here in our text. And I think of that moment that Jesus took his disciples on top of the mount and he transformed before them, Peter not wanting to leave that place because it was so wonderful. And they saw Jesus for who he truly is in the form that he had prior to his birth here on this earth. Then it came to his appearance of lightning, which is similar to the description of his return in Matthew chapter 24. But it is his eyes of fire that I think give us the greatest parallel to the truth of Revelation 19. These eyes that are of fire means something very specific in the Scriptures. It means eyes that appear and see everything for the purpose of judgment. And that would be consistent with the bra- brazen arms. As you know, the serpent that was raised in Numbers 21 was a brazen serpent. Again, another indication of judgment. And then, of course, accompanied with a massive voice. If you will turn with me to Revelation chapter 19, I'd like to take you through the part, portion of Scripture that describes Jesus at His second coming. And I believe you will quickly see the similarities between the both. So Revelation chapter 19, it's after Genesis. <laughs> Verse 11. John, writing from the island of Patmos, he says, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule with uh, an iron rod, and he himself tre- uh, trends, treads the winepress Of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The similarities, I think, are striking between the description of what Daniel sees here in chapter 10 and the description of Jesus Christ, not only here in Revelation 19, but also in Revelation 1. There are similarities. While Daniel was discouraged, like so many others, God reveals himself to him. He gets to see him. It is interesting that when Moses was called by God through the burning bush, it was Moses' chief desire to see God. Who are you? Reveal yourself to me. God does first through his name. He says, I am that that I am. But then he also gives Moses the privilege of putting him in a cleft in the rock, covering him with his hands and allowing him to see his back, his glory. And that was enough to change Moses from that point going forward. It is interesting that when you come to the New Testament, the disciples, when they were discouraged, when they needed clarification, when hope seemingly was lost They petitioned Jesus, just show us the Father, please just show us the Father. And Jesus said to them, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Now the description in chapter 10 of Daniel and also in Revelation 19 gives us the illustration of Jesus coming as a judge to this world. And in that description... Daniel was to find comfort and strength. So often we need to constantly be reminded that God is in control, don't we? When we see the circumstances of our life beginning to appear to spin out of control, when we are faced with challenges that overwhelm us and truly show us our personal uh, limitations and our personal Abilities that fall short of our overcoming those things. It is at those points that we need to be reminded of who God is and that He is in control. Often in the New Testament, we find places where the writers were given opportunities to know or to see or to interact or to be encouraged by God when they needed it the most. And often that encouragement was based upon the idea of His sovereign reign over all of His creation. Now, I have to admit that after being a Christian for over 30 years, I certainly have times in my life where I have no idea what God is doing. You know, He doesn't send me an email daily saying, Eric, this is what I'm going to be doing today in your life. This is what's going to happen in the world around you, specifically. Here's what I'd have you to do this day for me. I wish he gave us that specification of insight. But he's given us enough in his word to be comforted. And sometimes I have to remind myself that God is not asking me to understand everything that he's doing. He's simply asking me to trust him to keep him first, to keep my eyes upon him and not on the waves that are crashing in around me and in so putting my eyes on those waves beginning to sink. He simply says, trust me. If we can cultivate that type of relationship with God, then prayer will never be our last option. It will always be our first choice. Because if you haven't, let me uh, give you this assurance that one day you will experience trials, troubles, and tribulations, if you haven't already, in one form or another. And often we don't know why explicitly or specifically we are experiencing these things. Now we know that all things work together for good to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. We know that he who has begun a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. We know that he'll never leave us nor forsake us and that should be assurance enough to us to take us and to walk us through the difficulties and trials in which we experience. James goes on to say and he tells us, now be joyful when you fall into various trials. Well, James, that's not my first choice. (laughs) Knowing that it's producing in, in me something that wouldn't produce in me otherwise and that I have to remember that our heavenly father knows what is best for us. So Daniel, seeing what he sees here in chapter 10, Jesus coming to him, appearing in the manner that he did, displaying his righteousness and also giving the indication that he has come for the purpose of judgment, we find in verse 7, "...and I, Daniel, alone saw the vision." For the men who were, were with me, the men who were with me, did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them, I bet, so that they fled and hid themselves. Nope, we're out of here. We're gone. Very similar to Paul on the road to Damascus. When Jesus appeared to Paul, knocked him off of his high horse, as we like to say, the others didn't comprehend what was happening to Paul at that moment. It's so interesting that often we see how personal the relationship is between us and God. This was for Daniel. He wanted to encourage Daniel at this moment. In Acts 9, he wanted to get Paul's attention. Saul at that time, of course, changing his name to Paul. And he asked Paul a very specific question in Acts 9. He says, why are you kicking against the goads? It's a phrase that means, why are you kicking against your own conscience? A goad was a simple stick that they used to use to poke the ox in the hind portions of the ox's body to get them moving uh, if they had stalled or stopped as they were pulling a cart. And of course, if the ox would kick against that goad, the person would push harder and inflict a little bit more discomfort to the ox. See, Paul was wrestling against his own conscience, I believe. He was trying to uh, suppress what he knew to be true. As he held the jackets, watching Stephen to be stoned, and he saw the peace in Stephen, he saw the grace in Stephen, and he saw the forgiveness that Stephen um, represented when he died in similarity to the fashion that Christ asked for god the father to forgive those for they know not what they do it was personal this was for daniel i've often encouraged people that when you are in these situations try to find a place where you can get alone with god to let him personally speak to you doing so through his word encouraging you waiting on him letting him minister to your heart. He often will lead us to passages that will sometimes not explain specifically, but give us enough to carry on one more day. That still small voice. But notice with me, in verse 8, therefore I was left alone. And when I saw this great vision... And no, no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me. And I retained no strength, yet I heard the sound of his words. And while I heard the sounds of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. When King Uzziah and Isaiah saw the throne room of God, He immediately concluded, oh, I'm a man of unclean lips. Do you ever notice that when individuals experience God in the Bible, they're never the same afterwards? Of course, Moses was never the same. Jacob was never the same. That night he wrestled with God. Abraham was never the same after being given the promise of Jesus uh, of who was going to succeed him. The disciples, of course, realize that when you come to John 14 and 15 and they realize that Jesus is about to depart, they knew things were never going to be the same. Paul the Apostle, when he came to Corinth in Acts 18, he was deathly afraid. And God saw that fear and spoke to it and said, be of courage for I am with you. We're never the same when we get alone with God. And so often when we neglect our devotional life, we don't have that opportunity to sit and to wait upon God, to read His Word and to meditate upon it, chewing on it, getting every ounce of spiritual nutrition from each passage that we read. And it's in those times that God often wants to speak to us privately. I have noticed that in 30 years, I've come to the conclusion that God is much more interested in us than he is what he does through us. And that God loves us too much to leave us the way he found us. We know that the world around us is going to become more chaotic. We know that it's going to contain greater confusion as time goes on. But God has a way of settling us when we spend time with Him. One of the most vulnerable positions we can find ourselves in as Christians is when we neglect our prayer times and our devotional times, we bring ourselves into a greater sense of instability and insecurity. And in that insecurity, we create a vulnerability that can be exploited often by Satan. When I study the Word of God, I do it in two different fashions. Number one, it's to study the Word of God and to uh, minister to you through it. But then I never neglect studying the Word of God for myself. This is when God and I get alone. And if you have the courage to pray the prayer that David prayed, Oh Lord, search my heart and see if there be any wicked way within it. Now, you may want to wait for the answer. Or you may want to get out of the room quickly because he will show you. But Daniel needed this. Daniel was at a place now that he saw everything happening. He had God's word. But what he saw happening before him seemed to not coincide exactly with what God said. Oh yes, he released the people, and they were on their way back to Israel, and they were now reestablishing Jerusalem, and they were working on the temple, but things weren't going well. You know, many Christians believe that once I discover the will of God for my life, it's going to be smooth sailing. Really? Really? I find that often when we enter into the will of God, it gets harder. And though they were fulfilling God's will and God was with them, he still had many things for them to learn. And when you read the book of Nehemiah, you understand that very clearly. God wanted to make sure that they were truly dependent on him. He was faithful to his word, but he loved them too much to leave them for the way he found them. And so Daniel, now on his face, on the, to the ground, after encountering this incredible vision of Jesus. In verse 10, Suddenly a hand touched me. Now I believe this is an angel now that has come. Which made me tremble on my knees and on the palm of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For I have now been sent to you, and while you were speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. So often, and I don't think we can say this enough, we need to be reminded of how much God loves us. It changes everything. It puts everything into the proper context. It allows me to see things differently when I understand the love that God has for me. I don't think it is any accident that this is the first thing that the angel reveals to Daniel. Daniel, you are greatly beloved by God. See, sometimes our circumstances wouldn't lead us to believe that, would they? But Paul wanted to abundantly make clear in Romans chapter 8 that nothing, absolutely nothing will ever separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. It is all too easy to believe that God loves us when everything is going wonderfully. It's much more difficult to hold on to the understanding that God loves us when things aren't going so swimmingly. We begin to question. We begin to doubt. We begin to ask ourselves, have I done something wrong? Does God no longer care for me? God loves you because he chose to love you, period. End of story. He demonstrated that love by sending his only begotten son, but it didn't end there. You see, not only did God save us and redeem us from the fallen world, But we also have to understand that the book of Romans not only speaks of his redemption of the individual, but also the adoption of the individual. We've been adopted into the family of God. We are now heirs, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We're prince and princesses of the kingdom of God. And God loves his kids. Period. I don't care what circumstance you're going through. I don't care what who or what is whispering in your ears to believe otherwise paul makes it abundantly clear that nothing will ever separate us from the love of god i don't know if the love of god can be stressed enough i was once accused of you talk too much of the love of god and i said i don't know if that's possible i really don't know if that's possible Especially when he says that we are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And yeah, amen. Uh, and, and why do we love him in that way? Why do we love him in that way? Because he first loved us. It's a reaction. God's always the one who acts first. Daniel, you are beloved by God. I am here now. As Daniel stood before the angel, trembling, verse 12, then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel. Do not fear. Fear is a huge, huge aspect of an individual's life, isn't it? Fear can be healthy in the fear of the Lord, a respect, a reverence for God. But then there's also a fear that can be manipulated, it can be exploited. It can be used to control and to guide a person or a population. Fear can be an incredible tool in the wrong hands. Throughout the Bible, we read over and over again that individuals who follow God shall fear not. Again, when Paul was in Corinth, as you read chapter 18 of Acts, and Paul's there in the city it is one of the few times that Jesus speaks directly to Paul there in Acts in the book of Acts. And he says, "Paul, do not be afraid." Now, up until that point, there was no indication that Paul was fearful. But see, God knows our heart, doesn't he? He knows our mind. And by him saying that to Paul, I believe that it indicates to us, it reveals to us that Paul was fearful even though Luke didn't write about it. And he encouraged Paul, saying, no harm shall come to you. I have many here. When Joshua assumed the responsibility as successor to Moses, how would you like to fill those shoes, by the way? What did God continue to say to Joshua? Do not fear, be strong and of good courage. God does not want us to fear. Fear will directly impact our obedience in faith. When fear grips our heart and mind, we will often abandon being obedient to God simply by faith. The remedy to fear is faith in God. If God is for me, who then can be against me? It is important that we do not succumb to fearfulness that is irrational or even rational to the point that we dismiss what we know to be true about God and act in contrary fashion to faith. It's so important. Our society, our current culture is just overwhelmed by fear right now. They're fearful of everything. And it's sad to see. Now, I believe that there are certain th- fears that can be healthy. Now, if I was on top of the Sears Tower, and I refuse to call it anything but that, so bear with me, and I was at the edge. Now, there was a picture just recently of someone who had to climb up to the top of one of those antennas and change a light bulb. I would say, forget the light bulb. All right, we're just going to let it go. All right, <laughs> have something clap on, clap off. I, I wouldn't even go near that, okay? <laughs> And he, was, he actually took a selfie of himself up there. That's what you call, quote-unquote, tempting God. Okay? Yeah, I, I wouldn't do it. Yeah, that fear tells me that there is a law called gravity and I'm not going to win that battle. But there are other fears when we're inundated by propaganda where you see an agenda being unfolded before before us. And people then act irrationally and that fear guides them to make decisions that they most likely would not make otherwise. Do not be afraid, for God is with us. Verse 13. Now apparently there was a delay in the answer to his prayer. Verse 13, very, now we're pulling the veil back. We're looking beyond the curtain into the spiritual world. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me, resisted me, stood against me, hindered me for 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I had been left alone there with the king of Persia. What is going on here? As the angel was dispatched by God, as he was bringing the message to Daniel, it appears that a satanic angel watching over the Persians resisted him in his completion of delivering the message that Daniel was to receive. For 21 days, these angels contended one with another. And finally, Michael, one of the three named angels, Michael, Gabriel, and Satan in the Bible, one of the chief angels, the archangels, came to his rescue or his his side. Often when you discuss the ideas of philosophy or even science, science is the discovery of the the nature of the reality around us. In the philosophy class that I taught, we talked about reality. Is reality simply contained to the physical matter that we see and experience with our senses that we have been given? Or is reality also inclusive of a spiritual world that we cannot see into? Now think about that for a moment. The world would say that reality is, of course, just the material world that surrounds us. But this clearly indicates, the Bible clearly indicates, that there's a reality beyond the natural world that is equally as important than the natural world. It is this reality that we are getting a glimpse of here in verse 13. Now, we can't be dogmatic about the conclusions we draw from this because this is an isolated occurrence. But we have enough evidence in Scripture to tell us that when Paul the Apostle used incredibly interesting language in Colossians and in Ephesians, talking about principalities and powers and so forth, all agree that there was something more than just simply the hierarchy of the human governance over the society that it's referring to, but a spiritual reality that is behind that hierarchy. That would be consistent with what we see here. As we know, Michael and Gabriel watched over the people of Israel, correct? Michael watched over, Gabriel watched over, as one affectionately called Gabriel uh, God's bouncer for his people. It is interesting to see that there was a hindrance. Now, what happens if Daniel would have stopped? But he continued to fast and pray for three weeks until the answer was revealed to him. There is a spiritual world, and within that spiritual world is spiritual warfare. We cannot be ignorant of that. Many Christians today simply want to naturalize Christianity and therefore say, Well, Satan isn't just a real entity. He isn't a fallen angel. There aren't such things as demons no it's just the personification of evil it's just a title for evil in general that man does i disagree the bible is replete with examples from genesis to revelation talking about this spiritual world and i think that as christians one of the greatest uh, advantages that we can give satan is not to believe in him if i believe in god then i have to believe that satan exists Peter says he goes about like a roaring lion, seeking in whom he may destroy. Jesus himself encountered Satan in the wilderness, didn't he? And where Adam failed, Jesus succeeded. It's interesting to me, though, as Christians, if we want to dismiss that spiritual world, then we are never really going to engage in the battle, are we? But think of the language that Paul used throughout his epistles to describe the Christian life from the whole armor of God to the weapons of our warfare correct to Timothy he said you know part of being a Christian is to be a good soldier what is he saying and then clarifies but no Timothy in Ephesians specifically he says excuse me that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but principalities and powers and the ruler of this world there is a spiritual battle and we engage in that battle through prayer. One of the most deadly positions for a Christian to uh, enter is on their knees and begin to pray. So as we pull back the veil and we see this, we know that Jesus warned us that the devil has angels. For example, in Matthew 25, 41, it should be on the screen behind me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angel. And then in Revelation 12, 7 through 12, notice with me. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, that is Satan. And the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail. Nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out. That that serpent of old called the devil and Satan. Boy, clarifying language or what? John knew exactly what he was talking about. Who deceived, deceives the whole world. He was cast to earth. And his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren who accused them before God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to death. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows. His time is short. Amen to that. The spiritual world. Daniel gets a glimpse of it here. Verse 14, Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, which is always used for days that are still yet coming, uh, future days, and more specifically, in many occasions, the very last days. For the vision refers to many days yet to come. And when he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face towards the ground and became speechless. And suddenly one having the likeness of the son of men touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke saying to him who stood before me, My Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me. And I have retained no strength. For how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? Lowercase here. As for me, no strength remains in me now, nor is there any breath left in me. Then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me, and he said to me, O man greatly beloved, there it is again, fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened. And I said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. And then he said to me, Do you know why I have come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I have gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece, now here's another one, will come. But I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. So similar that the angel here talks to Daniel in the same way to Joshua and to into, uh, Paul's life. Of course, in those occasions, it was God himself, but the same message. Notice too that the angel points him back to the truth of scripture the truth of Scripture. Today, more than ever, we must be grounded in the Word of God. That's where our stability is found. Giving us an absolute to allow us to navigate the rough waters of the world around us. It allows us to have security in an insecure world. Uh, It allows us to feel confident when everything else in me feels just the opposite way. It gives me strength when I am weak. It reminds me of the faithfulness of God when I am faithless. The word of God is the most precious thing that God gave to us apart from Christ and apart from his spirit. And yet often it is that in which we neglect the most, isn't it? I don't know what I can do more to encourage you to be in God's word. One of the things that I find discouraging many Christians today is that they approach the Word of God like they would do maybe a self-help book. That they want to find some methodology in which about to bring about a conclusion or a result. You know, this verse plus this verse equals this. Others want the Bible to speak directly to the issue that they're facing. Which job should I take? Where should I go? Who should I marry? Etc. But see, the way the word of God is constructed is that it gives you what I call the macro principles in which to make those decisions wisely. It allows you to consider the big picture when you are faced with one microcosm of your life. It reminds you of what's truly important and what your priorities should be when making those decisions. That's why we need to be in the word of God from Genesis to Revelation, understanding the experiences of those recorded in the scriptures and see how they approach the challenges that they were faced with in the time in which they lived. Now, of course, the Bible speaks a lot of the last days, what they will be like, what will happen but they still do so in a very general way. In many cases, there are some specificities, but there are very much so macro understandings. It's interesting that as Christians dive into God's word, after a while, they start to see, oh, there's something much more happening here. That those little details that are important and they're important to God, it may not dress specifically but it gives me enough information to have faith in God to allow me to work through those various details of my life. That's the way the Word of God works in the life of the individual. In both Daniel 10 and in Revelation 19, we see Jesus depicted in a very specific way, one coming for judgment. This will make more sense as we unfold the rest of this vision over the next two weeks together. But when we think of the depiction of Jesus coming back on the white horse for the purpose of judgment, concluding the seven-year tribulation period that had been poured out on the earth, establishing his kingdom, leading us eventually into the new heavens and the new earth. Let us not forget that right now, the last time that we saw Jesus It wasn't on a white horse, was it? It was on the back of a donkey. Riding into Jerusalem, saying peace, being hailed as the one, the liberator, their Messiah, it tells us that right now is a period of grace like we haven't seen before. That through Jesus Christ, we can have peace with God. And now is the time, today is the day for salvation. It is this time in which we live where we can reach out to Jesus and just say, Lord, save me. Now, of course, they were unwilling, weren't they? And he wept over the city of Jerusalem, telling us that they were unwilling. Where are you today with Jesus? Do you know him? Do you have a relationship with God the Father through him? Have you come to him and asked for forgiveness of your sin, that in which he came to pay for through the cross? Have you begun to experience the new life in Jesus Christ that he gives to each and every one who are his? Do you have the assurance of the guarantee of the spirit of God dwelling in you as you walk through this world, knowing that? that God will never leave you nor forsake you? Have you come to that point in your Christian life, in your life? Do you know for sure that if anything were to happen tomorrow, that you would step into eternity, into the presence of God? Oh, I'm not talking about the presence at the great white throne of God. And I think we should talk about that for just a moment. Both in 10 and in 19 of Revelation, Jesus' eyes are like flames of fire. Again, it's another symbol of judgment. But it has a little deeper meaning and understanding to it. It means that God sees all things that need to be judged. For example, in Revelation chapter 20, he says that each individual that stood before him, the books were open. And every deed, word, and thought recorded in those books and those individuals apart from Jesus Christ were judged accordingly by Jesus Christ. One of the things that can overwhelm all of us is the level of corruption that has been exposed over the last two years within our culture and society and in our nation. And it seems like things aren't working the way that they used to or should in many cases. In some cases, they still are. It's hard not to believe that a lot of the decisions being made over the last two years were simply to gain more and more money. And you're like, how can you so cheaply expel people's lives for that purpose? And a lot of times, like the psalmist would say, these individuals seem to get away with it, but there will come a day that all things are open before God. And I don't say that arrogantly or with pride or satisfaction. It's a reality that will occur. I don't wish an eternity apart from God on my worst enemy because it's horrific. That's why we need to be praying for our leaders. We need to be asking that God would intercede. We need to be compassionate and loving right now. But again, at the same time, firmly and with resolve, standing up and saying enough's enough we have to walk that balance carefully. Again, knowing that we're not fighting against the flesh and blood before us, but the principalities and powers behind it all. But there will come a day that the books will be open and all things will be exposed. No one is getting away with anything in the sight of God. No one. Including us. Now, Saying that, let us know and understand that through the grace of our Lord, our sins past, present, and future have been paid for in and through the work of Jesus Christ. And in that grace, we should not look to sin, but to run from it. In that grace, we should not look to continue living the old life the way we did, but living in the new life that God has given us for the purpose of glorifying Him in all things but there will be individuals at the great white throne who will stand before him and all things will be revealed. The last two verses I give you in closing, Second Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 through 6. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into the captivity and obedience of Christ. And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. How do we deal with disobedience in our lives? We become obedient. Ephesians six twelve through 13 reminds us, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And let me leave you with these verses. You are greatly beloved by God. Do not fear, but be strong.